Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We want to be a place where you can own your faith and take next steps in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe your next step is to seek out community and join a movement group. Maybe it's supporting movement financially for the first time or using your gifts on a volunteer team. Whatever God is calling you to do, our prayer is that you will step out in faith and let Him lead you. For more information about your next step, please visit movementcolumbus.com. Well, uh, last week after church, I did some of the things that, that are normal rhythms around here. We, uh, we, we, we tear down this, this room and uh, help, help put things away. Uh, had had uh, the, the, the privilege of, uh, we, our family had a little sickness as it's going around, and so I was on dad duty, which means I was taking those kids to Wendy's. Those of you that are dads know that's what's going to happen on a Sunday. And uh, after that, I went home, uh, because I, I think I've told you before, I judge the success of a, of a weekend by when I can get home and, and put on pants that have an elastic waistband. And so that's like a rush to get home, get some sweatpants on. That's, that's what defines a successful day. And uh, I got a text uh, from one of my friends that lives up in Canada, and uh, he, just, he just had the word Kobe, and he had kind of that, that worried face. And I thought, and to, to be honest, I, I ran to Google, grabbed my phone, and I, I was, my first thought was, he's coming back to play with LeBron. This is, this is wonderful, right? And I, I Googled that news, and uh, I, I saw that it had just been 12 minutes ago that, that TMZ had posted an article uh, that, that there'd been a helicopter crash and that, that he had lost his life. And a lot of the uh, details of that weren't, weren't coming out yet, but that's, that's what I knew right in that moment. And uh, like a lot of people, I, I was processing that and thinking about that. And some of you might think it's silly to think like, oh, we don't really know these celebrities, but I think sometimes we have connections to them. My dad still talks about when his hero, a guy named Jim Croce, died in a plane crash. Some of you are old enough to know Jim Croce, and some of you were like, I'm super confused right now. Go home and Google that, all right? That, that was my dad's guy. He talks about that, right? And, and so I, I couldn't help but think, man, I kind of have this connection to Kobe in, in Dadville. Not only do we take our kids to Wendy's for, for lunch because we're not smart enough to cook, uh, but sometimes uh, when our wives, who are obviously better at this parenting thing and more sacrificial than us, uh, get tired and, and have to stay up late, we would sometimes, uh, I, I would always try to do this, like, hey, what can I do to and Kristen would say, well, why don't, why don't you take dad duty from like the 9, 9 p.m. to 1, 1 a.m. shift and I'll try to get some sleep. And so what became a, a rhythm in our house was that I would, I would be up kind of late with the boys and if they would be making noise as I was an early dad, 2008, 9, and 10, I would be the one that would be up with them and, and try to keep them quiet so mom could sleep. And that's right when Kobe was winning, winning that, that second round of championships. And so I associate Kobe uh, with me being a dad, but because I'd be up so late, there's nothing good on TV except West Coast basketball. So when I think of my boys in early days, I, I think of Kobe. When I think of the girls, I think of watching Steph Curry. So I just associate parenting with the NBA. You guys know that I have a problem with basketball. It's who I am, but that's how I was processing this news. And so I started getting text after text after text, and people are saying, People are saying, did you hear? Did you hear? Did you see what happened? Have you, have you heard? And, and what I thought was interesting about this is, is people, people that were texting me were not necessarily basketball fans. They weren't NBA fans. I, I was getting texts. I actually got a text from someone who, who doesn't own a TV. Who, I got friends that, that, that just read that would say, I don't, I don't follow sports. And yet they were texting me. And I think this story and the, the tragic news kind of illustrated one of the points that I think that we want to talk through uh, today. And it's just this, that, that story was, was news. And news has to be told, right? News, news isn't something where people think like, all right, do I want to communicate this? Is it convenient? Is now the right time? No, no, no. When something is news, 
You just have to share it. You have to tell that. News has to be passed on. News has to be communicated. And that story this week in America, last Sunday and in a Sunday night in America was news. Now you and I know that uh, we call the, the gospel news, not just news, we call the gospel good news. And when I say the gospel, I mean simply just the truth that we were created in the image of God. We were created to know God. We were created to be in relationship with him. But, but some of the decisions that we make, some of our selfishness as humans creates a, a gap between us and God called sin. And God doesn't want us to be separated from him. And so he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to this world. And his son, Jesus lived a perfect life and his son gave his life and, and was crucified and sacrificed his life on the cross. And he didn't do that because he deserved it. He did that because he wanted to pay the price for our sins. Jesus went to the cross and gave his life to defeat sin and death and to give us access to God the Father so that we could know the God that we were created in the image of, so that we could know the God that we were created to be in relationship with. And that is the gospel and that is the best news ever. And yet, we don't always treat the gospel like news. We don't always treat the gospel with urgency. We don't always look at our phone at 1 p.m. on a Saturday and think, man, my friend's got to know the gospel. I got to text him right now. This is a breaking story. I've got I've to tell him. They've, they've got to know. But that's how we approach news and that's how we should approach news. When I was in high school, I took a class called Advanced Gym. Please don't judge me. I know some of you were in like real sports, right? You're in like Advanced French 7 or something. I wasn't in that class, okay? I was in Advanced Gym you could only take so many study halls, so I got an advanced gym, right? And we had, a, we had a teacher called Mr. Glessner, and he was always wanting to show us, because this gym class was advanced, I can feel your judgment, by the way. Uh, because this class was advanced, we were always doing sports that were kind of outside the, uh, the, the scope of uh, Farmville, USA, where I grew up, right? So even though we only had like five, six sports offered at our school, he was going to teach us new sports, right? We would, we would learn handball and we would learn rugby and stuff that wasn't our American experience. And even back then, lacrosse was something that blew our minds, right? We were like, they play this in, in other parts of the world, right? And so we would, we would learn these sports. But here's what was interesting when we would learn these sports growing up in high school, right? Mr. Glassner would go through all this time of teaching us the rules. He, he would say like, hey, here's how rugby works. Here's what a scrum is. I think that might've been, I, I didn't pay attention, right? But he would say like, here's the boundaries. Here's what you can do with the ball. Here's what the team would do. And then he'd usually divide us up into two games. It was a pretty big class. And when he would walk away to work with the other half of the class, Whatever sport he had taught us, we would just turn that into a sport that we knew, right? So he would, he would explain rugby and then instantly rugby within like two minutes would kind of become like soccer with a mix of basketball, right? Or we would, we would be playing handball and we're like, okay, this is going to become hockey with a little bit of football mixed in, right? And whatever, whatever he tried to teach us, whatever he tried to describe to us, whatever he tried to explain, we would just say like, yeah, that's a good concept, but, but here's what we know. Here's what is familiar to us and here's what we're going to turn this into. We're starting this new series today. It's called Cultivate. And we're talking about this concept of what it looks like for us to be followers of Jesus who know the gospel and who are anchored in the gospel. Because we believe when we're, when we're anchored in the gospel, we don't have to tell people what their behavior should be. 
Someone doesn't have to say, oh, here's what a Jesus follower looks like. You should feel really guilty and do these things. When you know the gospel and trust the gospel and the gospel is real news to you that's exciting, there will just be some some natural behaviors, some overflowing behaviors. And I think that one of those is that you're going to share the news, the good news of the gospel with people around you. But what we often do is we say, yeah, yeah, I know this is the gospel, but this is what's familiar to me. And so this is what I'm going to play. These are the rules that I'm going to play by. And we turn following Jesus into games of comfort. And we turn following Jesus into this kind of religious box that makes us feel okay. We turn following Jesus into this version of American Christianity that won't really offend someone. And so we want to spend these next four weeks talking about what does it look like for us to know the gospel, to be rooted in the gospel, and to let the gospel pour out of our lives. So if you've got a a Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn in that to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, we're going to be at the very bottom right-hand corner, page 739, Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. There's probably a Bible there around you on the floor on your seat if you want to grab that. And if you don't have a copy of God's word, we would love for you to take that Bible home with you to have and to read, to get to know God and and to study. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, bottom right-hand corner, page 739, as we talk through this process of what it means to cultivate the seed of the gospel in our lives and in the lives of others, what it looks like to know the importance and the opportunity and the process of sharing our faith and sharing the gospel. Matthew chapter nine, verse nine says this. This is a story coming out of the the ministry of Jesus as he was traveling and teaching and performing miracles. Verse nine says this. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting in his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. We've been talking through this concept even the last couple of weeks. We've said that oftentimes as people understand the gospel, as people understand what it means to to know who Jesus is and to want him to, to come into your life and transform your life, to want to live for him, there's a moment where you surrender your life to Jesus and you say, I'm going to follow you. And that that moment looks different for each of us, but I love what it looks like there for Matthew, where Jesus said, hey, come and follow me. And Matthew said, okay. He saw who Jesus was. He understood what it meant to follow him. And he made that decision. And so what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to apprentice Jesus and to to pattern our life after him? We've been highlighting this these last couple weeks, but I want us to look at this again. It means that, that we should want to be with Jesus. It means that, that for Matthew, that literally meant walking after Jesus, following him for us. That means spending time with Jesus, reading his word and, 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 and praying and, and being in his presence. We should, we should want to be with Jesus when we're following him. We should want to become like Jesus. As we spend time with Jesus, people should be able to look at your character and look at the fruit of your life and look at your attitude. And they should be able to say, there's something different about that person. 
It's not that, that they're awesome, but they, they remind me of Jesus. Their character reminds me of Jesus. And the, the third thing that you would do if you were a follower of Jesus is you would do what he would do if, if he were you. And so Jesus isn't a sophomore at Ohio State, but if you're a sophomore at Ohio State, you should be thinking, what would he do if he were here right now? Would he be in this situation? How would he interact with these people? What would he do with his weekends? What would it look like for him to live on my hall or in my dorm? What would it look like for Jesus to be an elementary school teacher like I am? We should be thinking, what would Jesus do if he were living my life? And Matthew in this passage was able to be physically with Jesus. And so even in this short interaction, these few verses, we see that as he spent time in the presence of Jesus, and as we are able to do the same, he was becoming like Jesus. And so Matthew was asking, what would Jesus do if he were me? What would he do if he were living my life? And Matthew saw that Jesus had a heart for people like him. I mean, we, we saw the word scum up there. Tax collectors weren't people that everyone liked. And the Pharisees, the religious people were asking, why is Jesus hanging out with these people and talking to these people? Matthew knew the answer because Jesus had a heart for them and loved them. And so as as Jesus had a heart for people and Matthew saw the example of Jesus and spent time with Jesus, Matthew also had a heart for these people that he had been around, these people that were part of his industry. And so Matthew developed a heart for tax collectors, because he knew what he had been saved out of. He knew what it looked like to be trapped in his previous life. And that's not to talk down to tax collectors because we have someone that goes to this church that works for the IRS. But that's just to say, Matthew had the heart of Jesus as he spent time with him. Now, as often is the case, there's some action tied to that. And so Matthew threw what we've often called a, a Matthew party. He said, I'm going to invite over everyone I know, everyone that I have a heart for, and I just want them to be in the presence of Jesus. And so quickly in this passage, we see what does it mean to plant a seed? What does it mean to share our faith? It can mean many different things and look a couple different ways, but Matthew invited his friends and invited people to be in the presence of Jesus. He introduced them to Jesus simply. Sometimes when when stories and parables are told in the Bible, there's kind of a flow and there's a theme. And so I want us to skip down to verse 35 because I think you'll see how these stories begin to link together. Verse 35 of that same chapter says this, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Jesus already said that there were people who were sick and didn't have a doctor. And he continues this metaphor, this line of thinking. And he says, as I look around, I'm heartbroken because there are people who are lost. You don't have to name places and we won't go around and share, but I'm sure you've been somewhere before where you just thought, man, these people are lost. Maybe it was a Browns game. We'll talk about that later. But there's places that we go naturally in culture where you think, what's what's going on here? There's, there's, there's heartache. There's, there's people that just do not know what life is about and don't know where they're going with their life. And if we're spending time with Jesus and in the presence of Jesus, we should have that same heart for people in certain environments. We'll have a heart for lost people because we'll know what it means to be found 
and we'll say that that person is not found. We won't say that in a judgmental way. We won't say that to look down on them, but we'll just say, I want them to have what I know and trust in Jesus. And Jesus said that there are people that are confused and helpless, people that are like sheep without a shepherd. I often tease us that maybe we're not the most farming community in Hilliard but we're better than, than some, right? Some of us have probably never had sheep. We probably don't understand this concept, but basically what he's saying is, is this, that sheep will, will kind of go anywhere they, they can feel the wind blowing on a certain day unless their shepherd is leading them. And so when we're compared to sheep, it's not because sheep are the greatest animals in the history of time. In fact, sheep are kind of known for being dumb. And I don't say that to put us down as humans, but that's just who we are apart from God. That's just who we are when we lack purpose. And Jesus says he sees people and he feels, feels sorry for them. He has a heart for them and we should as his disciples. So I want to ask you, what's your, what's your heart for people? Maybe, maybe you would say, you know what? I, sometimes I have a heart for people, but I, I don't know that I've been spending enough time with Jesus to have his heart. Maybe you would say that you haven't been a follower of Jesus for very long. And so some of these concepts are, are new to you. Maybe you would say, you know what, truthfully, I'm, I'm around my family and a few people at work, or I work from home, or I, I don't travel much. And I'm not around a lot of people that I feel are, are lost or unsaved. And, but I love how clear Jesus is making this in these two interactions. He's saying, I have a heart for people because all people are lost. And if you're going to be my disciple, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to pattern your life after me, if you're going to spend time with me and let my character rub off on you, you're going to have a heart for people too. You're going to look at this world and just think, oh, this world is, is lost. And so Jesus asks us to pray. He asks us to pray to the God who controls the harvest to pray to the God who, who created this world and, and changes the heart of people. And he says, pray to, to God and ask him to send workers to the harvest. Because Jesus knows that when we pray, it changes our hearts. Yeah, we're often praying for other people and we're often praying about other things. But when we pray, it changes our hearts to be like God's heart. And so when we're praying for there to be workers that are sent for the harvest, Jesus has already called us to share the gospel. We already see that in the Bible. He's already said, if you're going to follow me, you're going to be a fisher of men. You're going to be a planter of seeds. And the question is not, should we be workers? Should you and I be gospel workers with God's heart? No, no, that's kind of assumed. It's where should we be gospel workers and how should we be gospel workers? And when are we called to be gospel workers? And some of us look at, the gospel and being a worker. And we think, no, 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 that's, that's not me. That's not me. Well, let's go back to this concept of news again. We're not all going to be Ted Brokaw or whoever, whoever's the cool news guy right now on ABC News or CNN or MSNBC. We're not all going to be someone that stands up in front of America and announces news on this, this regal level, right? But we're all going to communicate news. And yet sometimes we think, well, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a newsman. I'm not a newswoman. I'm not an evangelist. That's not my calling. That's not my job. That's not my gifting. Yeah, there might be different ways that we communicate news. There might be different levels and different audiences and different circles of influence, different platforms, different stages, but we all communicate news and we're all called to be gospel workers. 
So what does it mean to be a gospel worker? I think you've seen this up here, but it means that you're going to pray for God to send workers. If you're someone who's anchored in the gospel and rooted in the gospel and understands the gospel and knows that you're called to share that news with the world, you're going to pray for God to send workers. Because as you have God's heart and you look around, there's gonna be moments that you're overwhelmed. In fact, those of you who are parents know exactly what that feels like, right? There's just moments you look around your house and you think like, we're gonna need some more help here, right? So maybe you call grandma in for the weekend or maybe you hire a nanny or maybe you just need to get out of the house and go on a date. But you look around and you look at the percentages and you, you look at what you're called to do and what you're supposed to do for that weekend and you think like, there's one of me and there's four of them and this is not going to happen. And so it's okay to be overwhelmed, to feel challenged. It's okay to say, we need some help here. In fact, Jesus is saying, you're gonna feel that as you look around at this lost world. As you look around at people that that are like sheep without a shepherd, you're going to think, wow, this is out of my league. That's the point. And so as a gospel worker, it's okay to say, we're gonna need some help here. In fact, that's what Jesus is asking us to do because he wants us to look to him. He wants us to depend on him. And he wants us to remember that this is his work that we get to join him in. And he wants us to see our hearts change to be like his. What does it mean to be a gospel worker? It means that you're going to pray for God to send workers. It means that you're going to have the heart of Jesus for people. You might feel overwhelmed. You might feel anxious. You might feel shy. You might feel embarrassed. You might feel a lot of things. You might feel unqualified. But none of those things trump your heart for people because people are lost. So scripture talks about this concept that sometimes we have to renew our minds. Sometimes we have to change our thinking and remap the way we think about things. If you weren't anchored and rooted in the gospel, if you didn't have good news and no good news, there might be a moment that you think, oh, that person's really lost. Oh, their life's falling apart. Oh, that'd be awkward if I told them what I know. I'm just gonna tell them I'm thinking about them. And yet if you'd renewed your mind and you've You've changed the way that you think. You've let Jesus transform your heart and you you have his heart for people and you have his heart for sharing news and his heart for the gospel. That will flow out of you. So what does it look like to be a gospel worker? You pray for God to send workers, but you have the heart of Jesus for people. Yeah, as you talk about your faith, it might feel awkward or you might be tempted to, to think about certain emotions. And yet I think there's a simple truth in life that the more we do something, the more natural it feels. I mean, think about the first time you shot a basketball. My guess is you didn't even hit the rim, right? You were probably somewhere around four years old and you gave it everything you had. You threw that ball and it went like 10 feet shy of the rim, right? Think about the first time you rode a bike. You didn't just jump on that thing and say, I'm gonna be on the half pipe doing some tricks if anybody needs me. Oh, the first time that we do a lot of things, there's, there's an awkwardness. And, and sometimes we let Satan use that where we think like, well, I'll never do this again. And there'll be times that you don't feel like you're in control. Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit will carry us and give us the words to say. And again, this process isn't about us. It's about God directing us. And so we're told to pray for workers, to have the heart of Jesus for people and to, to trust what we know in the gospel as we're anchored in our faith. The third thing that we're told to do here is point people to their shepherd. When we make the gospel about us or sharing the gospel about us, we're already way off track. 
Sharing your faith and sharing the gospel is never about you. And so that's why this metaphor is used here that there are people that are lost and without a shepherd. Jesus didn't say, make sure that you can be a capable shepherd and make sure that you can be everything for everyone and make sure they know that you have your life really together and make sure that you can be enough for them. No, he was saying you're not enough and you're never going to be enough and all you are is a mirror that's going to point people to me. So I remember when I first read this passage and this passage came alive to me. Maybe you've heard me share this before, but I had a a college professor who shared this, this passage and he said, we are called to be light in the darkness. We are called to take the good news to the world and we are called to be Matthew in our context. And he said, when's the last time that religious people judged you for hanging out with sinners? When's the last time that you went out of your way to be around people who need a shepherd? And I thought of what I had done in high school. Now, I hadn't gone to a lot of... Uh, wild parties, we'll say, in high school. And I think that's okay because I think some of those parties are illegal. In fact, most of those parties are probably illegal, right? But when I was in college and I was challenged with this passage, I started thinking about my friends back home. And I started thinking about what they were doing every weekend and what they were trying to find purpose in and how they spent their time and their energy. And so Kristen and I were dating at the time. We went home that weekend and I found where all my old soccer friends were. And I went to a party and I prayed, God, I pray that you'll just give me something that I can say that, that can, can provide hope. I pray you'll give me some way that I can share the gospel this weekend so that my friends can, can know their shepherd. I went to this party and everyone was outside and I went inside to get a bottle of water because I was nervous and I was feeling overwhelmed. And my friend walked in and he said, man, I don't know why we do this every weekend. It's a softball toss, right? He's like, he continues, he goes on, he says, he's like, we all come out and we do this every weekend. We get drunk and I don't know why there's no purpose in it. It's just getting so, so old. It's so lonely and so empty. I was like, okay, God, I see you. I see you, right? And so I, I shared with him where I thought he could find purpose. And he was like, That's, that, that means so much. Thanks a lot, man. And walks out and someone else walked in. And I'm not making this up. My friend Jeff walked in and he was like, man, this gets so old, same people, the same thing. Why do we do this? And I was like, oh, okay, I'll share with him too, God. And, and so I, I shared the gospel with my friend, Jeff, and, and I actually had a chance to, to pray with him. And he, he said, man, we, we miss you around here. And there, there weren't like fireworks that went off that night. It wasn't like all of a sudden 40 of my friends rushed in and they all started crying and repenting and I led them all to the Lord. But I, I think God was just reminding me like, no, no, I've called you to be light in a dark place. You know the gospel. You're anchored in the gospel. And when you know the gospel, it flows out of your life. Here's our big idea for the day. It's, it's this. You can't separate being a follower of Jesus from the call to share the gospel. We'd like to separate those two things. We'd like to detach ourselves from sharing the gospel. We'd like to detach ourselves from good news. We'd like to include our emotions in there, our nervousness, our anxiety, our lack of gifting and all kinds of excuses and say, no, no, that one doesn't apply to me. But all throughout scripture, when we see that people found out news, when people found out good news, that news would be transferred through them and that news would be proclaimed through them to the world. And so we're called to be gospel workers. Again, what is the gospel? It's that apart from God, outside of God, left to ourselves and our own sinful decisions, our own selfish decisions, you and I were headed towards separation from God and destruction. 
because God is holy and we don't deserve to be in his presence. And yet the future, the penalty that we deserved was not what God wanted us to live. And so the the penalty for our sins, the price for our sins was paid for by someone else. It was paid for by the work of Jesus on the cross. And so we're saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And the gospel is all about who he is and what he has done. The gospel is never about us. It's never about what we've done. It's never about what we can try to do or who we are. But when we know the gospel, when we know that Jesus is enough, when we know that Jesus gave his life and we want to identify with him, we want to surrender to him, we're called to repent from the life and the direction that we've been living, the way we've been walking and and what we've been following. We're called to repent and turn and face the other way and walk toward Jesus. Say, Jesus, I'm not enough, but you are. And I wanna live my life for you. I wanna surrender my life to you. I think sometimes we forget how easy that is. We don't need to overcomplicate sharing our faith or sharing the gospel. If you know truth, let truth overflow from your life. Here's some of my favorite verses I think share the gospel really easy. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 20. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Romans 10, 9 and 10 tells us, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you were made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. I know that there are people in this room who have never surrendered their life to Jesus. I know there are people in this room who have tried to figure things out and still feel a separation, a disconnection from Jesus. And as we talk about good news and we talk about the gospel and we talk about something overflowing from your life and your heart, you're probably thinking there's nothing overflowing from my life and heart. I think it's because you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus. You haven't said, Jesus, I've tried all of these other things and all of those other options leave me empty and I have nothing but you. At the end of yourself, when you surrender your life to Jesus, you will find meaning and you will find hope and you will find eternal life and you will find real true love and you will find belonging. You will find everything you need and you will find your identity and you will find your foundation. And once you have those things and know those things, the gospel will pour out of you. One of the last things that Jesus said to his disciples was Matthew 28, 19 and 20, some famous verses where he said, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus came and and changed our lives and changed this world forever. He changed our DNA. He changed our identity and we're called to change the world. We're called to share the gospel with the world. So what does that look like? And why are we spending a month talking about this? We're spending a month talking about this because our, our elders and our leadership believe that this is something that, that we as a church and we as, as movement churches, as people can, can be better at. 
not because there's sales incentives or bonuses, but because eternity matters and people matter to God. And no one is guaranteed tomorrow. And we want people to know Jesus and know the hope that's found in him. We wanna take that hope, the gospel to the world. So I wanna, I wanna just call us to do three simple things this month. We're gonna talk about these things every week. These are going to be questions that are, that are asked, things that you'll see on social media, things that are gonna be asked in your movement group as we process through this and talk about this. And the first one is this, pray. Pray for our world, pray for the world and the circles that you operate in. Pray that that God will send workers for the harvest. Spend time with God in the presence of God, being changed by God and pray. And then pray for your three. Three people that, that God has put on your heart. Maybe you've never chosen those people, but who are the three people that you would say, you know what, that's, that's someone that I know and someone that I love and someone, someone that I know doesn't have a shepherd, someone that's lost. My kids have friends at school and their, their dad is one of my three people. I have a next door neighbor who's one of my three people and my son has a soccer coach who's one of my three people. And so when I'm praying for them, I'm praying that God will give me an opportunity to share my faith, to share the gospel with them, to see their lives transformed. Not because that's about me, not because I have to be perfect. And so here's what I want you to pray for. I want you to pray for a no-brainer moment, right? Because let's be honest, if it's not a no-brainer moment, we're gonna be like, well, I think that would have been a little awkward if I would have brought up God right there. And so I, I just told him, I'd, I'd pray for him. I told him that, I, they have my thoughts and sympathy, right? We, we tell people a lot of things and yet there are moments in time where, where God makes it real obvious, kind of, kind of like sharing the gospel for dummies, right? Where he's like, I'm asking you to share your faith with that person, right? Maybe it's when someone says, where do you find all your hope at? And you're like, ooh, okay, yeah, I guess I don't have a choice here. So we're praying for no-brainer moments because we believe that God is going to give us no-brainer moments, Maybe those moments will look different or maybe as we pray for workers for the harvest, we'll just have eyes for people and a heart for people and a heart for those moments. Maybe a little bit of both. But this month, we're going to pray for people without a shepherd. We're gonna pray for people and pray for workers of the harvest. We're gonna pray for our three people that God has put on our heart and in our mind. And we're gonna pray that God gives us a no-brainer moment to share our faith with them where we can't, you can't make excuses. It might not feel perfect. You might not feel like you're a professional newscaster or you're, you're an evangelist, but it, it's going to feel good because the gospel is going to flow out of you. And so we want to do something else just as we're thinking about what it looks like for us to be focused on this and, and doing this as a church this month. And, and so we've decided to do uh, something that's called a, a Daniel fast, to invite you, to encourage you to be a part of this fast with us. Most of you know that a a fast is simply just to to go without something. So sometimes you'll see that people will fast from TV. Sometimes you'll see that people will fast from media. Sometimes people fast from certain things. A Daniel fast is basically uh, cutting out kind of meat and and dairy and and sugars and things. And so a a Daniel fast is, 
is, is basically gonna look like being vegan for a while. And I know that some of you are like me. The first time you heard that, you thought like, I'm not called to do that. I've already prayed about it. I'm definitely not called to do that, right? I'm too tough. I'm, I'm too in my, in my patterns or whatever. Like I'm, I'm in a rut, call it what you want. But I eat a lot of Papa John's pizza and that's what God has called me to do, right? And, and yet I, I, I wanna just ask you this. The reason that we're, we're thinking about doing this, the reason that we're exploring this as a church is because we think and we know and we trust that there's value in, in fasting because there will be moments where you think like, oh, right now I would eat this. I really miss this. I'm getting hungry for this. My, my life is changing and my stomach is telling me that my life is changing and I hate this. And there's gonna be moments you're, you're kind of reminded or pushed to depend on God the way that you normally depend on that thing that you've removed from your life. So there might be a moment that you think, oh, my stomach grumbles and all I'm allowed to have is a banana. That's awful. What I really want is a bag of Oreos. And in that moment, you'll think, all right, this is my reminder to pray and to pray for God to send workers to the harvest, to pray for my three people and to pray for a no-brainer moment. Because we wanna depend on God the way we depend on food and depend on some other things. We wanna look to God the way we look to food. And we wanna talk to God with the frequency that we often seek out food. I know there will be people that don't want to do this. There will be people that think this is dumb. There will be people that think it's too much. That's why we're trying to take the excuses away. So you saw the, the screen cap of our website, and that'll be advertised on there. You can go to movementcolumbus.com backslash Daniel, and there's, there's a recipe guide there. So you can do your meal planning. You can go shopping ahead of time. You can have ideas for things like smoothies and things like snacks and things like dessert and breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And you can get your shopping list together. And here's the best part. We're not going to start this till, till next Sunday. So if you were like, oh, I would have done it, but I'm going out of town for two days. You still have five days. And we tried to, we tried to get rid of that excuse too. This is something that we believe in as a church, not because we want to glorify this Daniel fast and be talking about it and say, oh, I'm so hungry. Look at me. I'm so spiritual. We want to be reminded of who God is and what he's doing and what his heart is for people. That he sent his son, Jesus, that we're changed and we're transformed and we're anchored in the gospel. And that should flow out of us as we have God's heart for this world. And this is meant to focus us. So I hope that you'll take a moment to think about this and, and to pray about this. This isn't meant to be a guilt trip but we're gonna do this together so that we can feel support. My hope is that every movement group leader and every apprentice leader will absolutely do this. And so you can talk about this and encourage each other in your groups. You can swap recipe ideas and you can have each other over for meals because you already know that someone else is doing this. The goal is that this will put our eyes on Jesus and this will make sure that we have his heart for people as we pray about being workers who are sent with the gospel. Because often we try to change the rules or do what's familiar to us, but you can't separate following Jesus from the call to share the gospel. We want to be a church and a people, individuals who are sharing the gospel out of the overflow of our daily lives. So think about doing that Daniel fast with us over this next 21 days, starting next Sunday. Regardless, join us in praying to have God's heart for people and for the gospel. Let me pray as we close here. God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Thank you for changing time and history and changing our eternity. Lord, sometimes we talk about topics and they feel religious, they feel forced, they feel like something we have to do. We should feel guilty about that. Lord, this is, this is one of those topics, but 
Lord, simply put, you have changed us and you have changed the world. You've given us everything in the person of Jesus. We are grateful. We are joyful. We are thankful. So, Lord, we want to be people who share news. We want to be people who have your heart for the world, and we want to be gospel workers with your eyes and your attitude. So, Lord, I pray that you'll help us to have that attitude. Pray that you'll bring three people to mind that we can begin lifting up. And, Lord, I pray for no-brainer moments where we can share our faith with people in our lives, people in our neighborhood, people in our family, people that are at work. God, we want to cultivate seeds and cultivate the gospel in others' lives as you use us and as you call us. And so help us to be your people with your heart, your attitude, who are simply just following you, not trying to follow you in comfort, but we want to follow you and follow the example of Jesus and be fishers of men. We lift that up to you this morning. It's in your son's name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We hope wherever you are, this message encourages you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or giving online, please visit movementcolumbus.com.